this morning I want to start off with a word association game. Okay, so I want to hear to participate. If you, if you make the connection, I want to hear you, you say it out loud. You can play along even if you're at home. And so uh, we're, there's going to be, um, be a list of names of inventors and entrepreneurs, and I want you to shout out what they are most known for. All right, the first one is uh, Thomas Edison. The light bulb, yeah, he, he helped us harness electricity into the light bulb, which is really great because on cloudy days like today, uh, we can read our notes and we can you know, see each other uh, much more uh, clearly than maybe we could uh, under candlelight. What about uh, uh, Henry Ford? Yeah, 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 yeah. On one hand, the American Army, but also the assembly line. Uh, Miss Siggy in the back might say there's a guy named Benz over in Germany that, that, that might have beat Henry Ford to the punch, but, but, but here in America, we like to claim Henry Ford. Uh, what about Alexander Graham Bell? Telephone. Man, where would we be without the telephone, right? I mean, you know, even back in the day, you, know, you have to call like, the central line. I mean, that was b- b- before my time. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe Wayne remembers those days. Um, but can you imagine you know, not having to walk everywhere to, to, to talk to someone? You could just like, talk to someone from your own home. That was pretty amazing that uh, Alexander Graham Bell did that. What about uh, a guy named Steve Jobs? just about anything Apple, right? I mean, except for the actual apples, uh, Steve Jobs has taken care of everything else. iPads, iPods, iPhones. You put an I in front of it and then the name of something and Steve Jobs probably had something to do with it. What about Bill Gates? Uh, Bill Gates would be Windows. He'd be Microsoft. Uh, Steve, uh, Jeff Bezos is Amazon. Uh, but, uh, but, but yeah, Bill Gates, uh, the Windows price, uh, Microsoft, and, and you know, you're, you know, you, pretty much anything you've like, typed up a document on, maybe you've, you use Excel at your work to, to organize spreadsheets. I know I use spreadsheets for the exact wrong reasons. And it's like, hey, I can, make a gra- I can make a chart out of this, and then you know, just use that there. What about uh, Mark Zuckerberg? Facebook. So, yeah, these are just some people who, who brought a, an item, an object into the public sphere, something that, that we um, either once didn't have, but now we do. Where would we be without the light bulb, the telephone, computers, even the, even the small computers that we have in our pocket each day, right? Where would we be without them? Our world is vastly different because of these individuals, because of the, the jobs and the businesses they were a part of. So a question I want to think about today is, what business is God in? What business is God in? Or maybe another thought is, is what business is the church in? I mean, you might go, well, we're in the religious services industry. We're in the industry of spiritual education. But when we think about that, what it does is it just makes the church like like a commodity, like electricity, like water, like telephone, like trash. Like, do you ever really think about your trash company? Unless they're not picking up your trash. No, you just, you, 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 you roll out the can and they pick. Do you really think about the electricity in your house? Or, or except when maybe the electricity is out. Like, can they not fix that line faster? Can we not get electricity back to the house quicker? No, they're commodities. So we don't think about them until they break. And I think that's why the church, why church attendance and church influence in our culture is rank waning because we've made church, we've made faith a commodity. It's something that, that we, 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 we go to when we want to, it's something we, but, but we no longer look at it as something that is, is vital and important to our life. So what industry is God in? What, what is, what's the, business, the true business of the church? So if you read the New Testament, as you read through the books, of, especially Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the book of Acts, 
The, 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 the church is not merely, you don't really see the rise of the religious industrial complex. No, what you see is that God and the church have always been in the people business. They've always been in the people business. They, they've always been about, about helping people along the way grow and, and, and become um, more like God has designed us to be. All along the way, you see God investing in people. You see God uh, choosing people who are, who are broken, who, are, who, are, who have flaws, and God using them in a way that they would have never dreamed of by themselves. You, would see, you see God use them in a way that is extraordinary. You see God do something in their life and through their life that they could not have even thought of or done on their own. See, God has always been in the people business. He's always cared very much about people. And this makes sense because he created us. And not only did he create us, but he created us in his own image, which, which is the very problem with the evolutionary perspective on origins of man and the earth. See, if we are just merely astronomical accidents, if we merely are just molecules that kind of randomly came together, that we just came together by happenstance, everything immediately loses value. See, for all this evolutionary accidents, there's no basis for law. There's no basis for humanitarianism. There's no basis for human rights. It would truly be survival of the fittest. But, but if we were created by a creator God in his image and given purpose and dominion on the earth, well, then that would imbue all of us with infinite value. Some might even say that we are priceless. See, then human rights, environmental rights, the basis of law and order all come into proper perspective when we find ourselves as though created by someone who loves us, who created us with a design and a purpose to fulfill on his earth. But into God's perfect world, we introduced sin. We introduced evil. We were the ones who brought about wickedness. And it's been wrecking our lives ever since. We don't have to talk about that much because we all know, we've probably all experienced evil and wickedness in our life in various ways. And sometimes those scars are still there. Sometimes those wounds are still open and hurting. It was not part of God's plan, but we introduced it into the world. And that's why there are no perfect people. There are no perfect Christians. Not even the preacher who stands before you today. I have not lived one perfect day in my life. That's why God's in the people business. It's the very reason why God is in the people business. All He's helping put his world back in order. Why he's, he helps try to put humans, put his creation back in order. But it will never be perfect until that day when he comes and sets everything right again. And so it's to that end that we work. It's that, to that end that we strive. Not that we will be perfect, but that we strive each day to live a bit like Jesus. So in a world that is antagonistic towards him, Here's a question that we want to look at and think about today. How do we, how, not how do we, it should be how can we, how can we serve people better? How can we serve people better? And so if you would turn with me uh, in your Bibles, maybe if you didn't bring one today, uh, there's one in the, in the pew in front of you. You guys can turn to page 1673 in your Bible there. It's going to be Philippians chapter two, verses 12 to 18. 
Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 18. Paul writes this letter to his friends in the church in Philippi. And uh, he, yeah, they're, 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 if you're in the front row, they're, they're right behind you there. Uh, if not, we got some other ones behind if you want to kind of follow along. Uh, so he, as Paul is traveling around the world, he stops in uh, this, uh, this Roman colony called Philippi. And in Philippi, he helps start this church. And as he is a... Uh, 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 helping there, he, he gets the church started, and then eventually Paul moves on to somewhere else. And as Paul goes along throughout the rest of his ministry life, the church in Philippi is always there to encourage him, always there to give him money, and they're, 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 they're supporting him and loving on him and carrying on him, and he knows he has these, this really deep friendship with the people in Philippi. And so if you ever get a chance to read through the book of Philippians, it is full of encouragement. It is full of, of, of Paul just sharing life with his friends and, and reminding them of their partnership that they have with God as they continue in this process of salvation in their their life and through their life. Now the section we're going to look at today is right after a very familiar, right after a very uh, uh, well-known section. If you've been in church for any length of time, Paul writes this or passes on this beautiful hymn about who Jesus is, his power and his person and, 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 and his life. He, 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 we see this beautiful picture of who Jesus is and, and what he has done for us. And so in the section we're going to today, he connects the power and the person of Jesus to the life of the believer. And in so doing, also possibly revealing for us an answer to our question for today. This is what Paul writes for us in Philippians chapter 2. He says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to, to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run as a laborer in vain. But even I, if I am being poured out like a drink offering, see Paul sees the end of his life may be coming. He says, even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice in me. Paul's just come through this section, this beautiful section about who Jesus is and, and what he's done for us. And he starts off with this word, therefore, therefore. And he's, so he's, what he's saying is in light of everything we've just said, is who, who Jesus is and, and what he's done, how he, he left the glories of heaven, how he, he came to earth, was, was clothed like a man, was obedient to God, even went to a cross. The most gruesome form of execution ever invented by man. He, he humbled himself to death on a cross for us. And as he did so, God exalted him. Gave him the name above every name, the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth to the glory of God. And now to Jesus, Lord, to the glory of God, the Father. In light of all that, in light of what he has done, here is our response. He says, my dear friends, as you've obeyed in my presence, now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation with fear. And there's, 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 there's something interesting there, right? We, we work, our, our, our work is, comes out of the grace will be given to us by God. 
We don't work our way into salvation. We're, we're, so, we're so used to working our way into things and earning things, aren't we? We earn our place. We earn our position. We earn uh, uh, promotions. We earn badges. We, we, we're so used to earning things. We have to work to get them that sometimes that's how we view God. Sometimes we view God the same way that we have to work and we have to earn his love that we we have to rise up to a certain place and then God will love us and then God will give us salvation. But that's not how it is. Paul says we work out our salvation. Our salvation comes from what God has done in our life and our working comes out from that basis. See, that's one of the hangups of some people who, who, who remain apart from God, who remain far from God. How could God love someone like me? I have done so much wrong. I've done so many things. How could God love someone like me? We, 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 I got to get my life cleaned up. I got to get this straightened. I got I to get this figured out. And once I get those things hammered out and figured out, then, then I can come to God. That's not how God sees us. God saw us as we are and sent his son to die in our place for our sins, to give us the gift of salvation. We do not earn our salvation. We don't work our way into salvation. Our work comes from that place out as God has given us his grace. See, here's the good news. We don't trust in our work. We don't trust in the things that we accomplish. See, all we have done, everything that we've done is simply, all we have to do is simply trust in the work of Jesus his death on the cross, his resurrection, and accept him as savior. As we proclaim him as Lord, we receive salvation through his grace. It's not our work. It's his work, his gift of grace in us. For it is his, for his, his will to act, to help us fulfill his good purpose. To work our salvation is in fear and trembling. And sometimes we think that means we have to be scared of God. That, we, that, that we're somehow afraid of him. But that fear and trembling really is much more of a, of a picture of, of, of worship and of reverence. Where we come to him and we realize who he is and who we are. And that gap is much further than that. That he is above all, that he is perfect, that he is holy. And that we fall short daily. So we come to him as we are. And as he sees us, he gives us his grace. As we, as we uh, accept him, as we uh, re- recognize who he is, as we call him Lord, and as we uh, obey and believe in his work, he gives us his grace. Look at our, our salvation, fear and trembling. There's something about that trembling that, that you, we see pictures of this often in, in scripture. If you turn to Isaiah six, you read about Isaiah. He stands, he, he's like somehow brought into the throne room of God and he is trembling because he knows he's a sinner and he knows God's perfection. You see in revelation, John is brought into the throne room of God as, as, as he, as he is, um, sees how things are going to play out towards the end of time. And he sees that no one is worthy. And he is, he, you see him cry and you imagine that there's trembling. And we stand before God and recognize our great need of forgiveness. There is trembling. But God chooses to use broken people like us. 
See, it's God's will to work and act in us to fulfill his good purpose. See, did you notice the order there? The order there is also quite important. God works in you before he does his work through you. He wants to do his work in your life before he puts you in a position to fulfill his good purpose. He works in us and then we can act. And sometimes in our life, we get so focused on the output, don't we? We get so focused on the results that we forget about the process along the way. We get so focused on the results that we don't pay attention that there may be some steps that we need to do to get right to get there. And nowhere do I see this more consistently than in coaching my middle school basketball team. Because everybody wants to be Steph Curry, right? Everybody's like, hey, I'm going to shoot up this three-pointer from back here by the logo because that's what I see Steph do. And we don't realize that Steph Curry is like six foot two, and he's done this for a long time, and he practices, and he shoots those shots a thousand times a day. And I got my middle schoolers out there who practice at least one day a week and maybe sometimes at home, and, and they're just like catapulting the ball up there. Like so much so that last week at practice, the first two minutes of practice, all we did was shoot three-pointers. We didn't make very many. I said, hey, if we shoot a lot of these shots, we're not going to win the ball game. We didn't shoot any. We shot one three-pointer yesterday, and we still didn't win the ball game. But that's another story. Uh, But you you, you get so far back, and you get beyond your range. All of a sudden, you have to throw the ball, and you're not using proper form. And so I got some little guys, I got a lot of sixth graders on my team and, and, and they're, they're, some of them are just strong enough to shoot the ball 15 feet. I'm like, Hey, if we shoot with the right form, as you grow and get bigger, as you grow and get stronger, then you can begin to add distance, but they'll chuck the ball up from three point range. You know, go in and go see coach. I made it. Sometimes shooting the ball with proper mechanics and a miss is a better shot than a make with the wrong mechanics. See, we make our lives all about fruitfulness. We want to say, look, look, I, I want to do these things. I want, I, I want these results. But along the way, we forget that what, what is most important to God. What is most important to God is not uh, the results that may come from our life. What's most important to him is our relationship with him. What's most important is what God wants to do in us. So we put the cart before the horse. And we ask, instead of asking God, hey, what do you, we often ask God, what do you want to do through me? We say, God, what is it that you want to do through me? We want to rush to the end. We want to rush to the results. We want to rush to the end of the game. And really, there's some steps before we get there. A friend of mine named Kyle Eidemann, he wrote a book called One at a Time. And in the book, he wrote these words. He said, the work God does in you will lead to the work God wants to do through you. He says, as much as I want to skip the in and go straight to the through, God's approach is consistently in, then through. Consistently, God wants to work in our life to prepare us for those moments that he wants to work through our life. And that's what helps uh, redeem and restore some of those uh, difficult situations we've been in. Some of those hurts uh, from our past. Some of those moments that maybe uh, we made a poor choice. Maybe we're still living with uh, effects of some bad decisions at other points in our life. And God wants to use those. He wants to redeem those. He wants to, to take those moments, take those hurts and heartbreaks 
and redeem them and use them for his glory. But to get there first, he has to work in our life and help us understand the lessons from that. So we can then, he can then work through us to help others maybe navigate similar circumstances. See, sometimes we want to rush straight to the God, do something through me. But here's how I know. Here's how I know that, that, that we're not ready to, to always, we're not always ready to, for God to work through us. Because what Paul writes here to his friends in, in Philippi, he says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. So you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault and a warped and crooked generation. Yeah, I know that we're not ready yet. Paul says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. And I don't know about you, but this verse is not yet a reality in my life. I mean, when things don't go my way, what do I do? I grumble. I argue. I complain. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just me, but I got, I got a feeling you're probably right there with me. When things don't go our way, what do we do? We grumble, we complain, we argue. And, and it doesn't, it's not like the rantings and ravings and tantrums of a toddler, right? We, we've, we're, we're much better than that, right? But I'm still pretty good at holding a conversation under my breath, right? I mean, I, I, I can hold a conversation in my head that would make you blush. Like you talk like that. I'm pretty good at saying things in my breath. This proof that I still need God to do his work in me. Because what he is doing in me will produce what he wants to produce through me. But we have to give God access to the inside. See, it's easy. It'd be easiest for, for, for us to just blame our environment, right? I mean, it's, it's, they made me do it. It's the government, it's the bias, it's the politics, it's the this. It's the, it, did, did you hear what they said? they said? They triggered me, they set me off. It's easy for us to blame others and what Paul calls a warped and crooked generation. And while these things can influence us, and it's fair to say that they can influence us, we still have a choice whether we want to grumble or complain. We are still responsible for our response. Something we say a lot around our house, because with a a 16-year-old daughter and a 13-8-year-old sons, uh, there's some grumbling and arguing, complaining at our house. But he hit me first. You're responsible for your response. But he did this. It's so unfair. So I hit him. So I did this to him. So I pulled her hair or whatever it is. You're still responsible for your response. And the same is true for us as adults, right? doesn't matter how triggered we get. doesn't matter how offended we are. It doesn't give us the right to go out of bounds. We're still responsible for our response. Paul says, do everything without arguing, complaining. So we may become blameless and pure. So we can become blameless and pure. There may be exceptions. There may be times that we truly need to just argue and vent and complain. And those are sometimes those are reality. But a lot of our grumbling and a lot of our complaining, all they do is reveal a selfish heart. And while there are exceptions, some of those times when we want to call an exception, really what it is, is just something that would be rightfully called sin in our life. 
See, what we need God to do is to remove our, those sinful attitudes, those sinful behaviors, so that we can become like stars in the sky. So we can become like stars in the sky, shining brightly. So one of the things I love best about our, our summer camping trips is, is at night when you, you can just go outside, you can look up at the stars, you look up at the clear night sky, Begin to see all these stars. I know I, I can recognize some of the the, the, the major constellations, but but last, you know, last summer when we were camping, the kids were like, "Well, Dad, what's that one?" Let's see here. I think I have an app for that. You know, we <laughs> well, it's this one. Oh, that's the name of some creature in Harry Potter. And so we yeah, and so we, well, look, there's another one there. And so we were you know, looking around and find these different constellations, these different things. And I, I, I love it that here we live. Mostly, for the most part, far enough outside uh, away where there's not too much light pollution, right? We can even still see quite a few stars. We, we get a little bit here and there that might be uh, clouded off. But on a clear night sky, clear night, uh, a clear night with no clouds in the sky, we get to see all of God's handiwork. And Paul says, we can be blameless and pure so we can shine like stars in the sky. And the only thing that blocks the light of a star is Clouds and light pollution, right? Clouds. I mean, if there are clouds in the sky, you're not going to be able to see the stars at night. If, if you are, as you get closer to the city, it's harder to see the stars because of, of all the, the lights in the sky. Just the, the natural ambient uh, environmental light they have there. And we begin to picture ourselves in that same sort of thing. Sin is what blocks our light from being seen. Sin is what blocks the light of Jesus from shining through us. And this is what makes sin no small thing. It's what makes God, God's work in us so important. Our lives are not about what we produce for God, but they're about our relentless pursuit of him. Our fruitfulness is born out of that pursuit. As we pursue Jesus, our fruitfulness increases. As we pursue Jesus, the light we shine shines brighter. And so throughout this whole letter, Paul has been telling his friends in Philippi about his pursuit of Jesus. And he speaks to them about the sacrifices that he is really willing and ready to make to further the mission of Jesus. And he even compares them to sacrifices that are made at the temple. He goes, if I'm poured out like a drink offering, have you ever done work, maybe yard work, maybe serving someone and it's been hard work. And at the end of the day, you just feel all poured out. You are just like wasted. You are just done. It's like, roll me home, throw me in the tub and then throw me in bed. Have you ever been there? I've been there. Paul says, I'm going to be poured out completely for the cause of Christ. I want to lay everything out that he might be lifted up. And while sacrifice can bring pain, Paul says, in this sacrifice, we should be glad. This sacrifice should produce joy. It should produce gladness in our life. And for those who think that walking with Jesus is about what they miss out on, what we have to give up all the thou shalt nots in scripture, here's the part that often gets overlooked. Walking in step with Jesus ought to produce a life of true joy. Walking in step with Jesus produces a life of true and pure joy. 
A life of greater joy than any of life's other pursuits, better than badges and titles and money and power and position. A life of faith is not something that is accomplished by our own efforts, our own merits, our own abilities. See, we become this active participant in something that doesn't start with us. Philippians 1, 6, at the very beginning of this book, Paul says that, he, he, he writes that, uh, that God is beginning this work. He is being confident of this, that, we who began, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That he who started the work will carry it on until the very end produce greater and greater joy. We become an active participant in something that does not begin with us and in the actions whose results we do not control or define. And that's hard for us, right? I don't know about you, but I am hardwired to be an achiever. I like to see results. I, I like to be able, at the end of the day, I like, to, I like to know that I move the ball from here to here. I did something. I accomplished something. Something got done today. I am an achiever. I like results. And I want to know what I'm going to get. But in our relationship with God, when we focus on the results over the process, we miss out on God's presence. When we focus on the results over the process, we miss out on God's presence. And what God wants us to be more uh, aware of is who he is and his presence in our life. We can get so focused on what God wants to do through us that we forget to invite God into the thing that we are doing. Mother Teresa of, of Calcutta was asked what, uh, what qualities allowed her to make such a massive impact. And she said this, she said, I don't claim anything of the work. It is his work. I'm like a little pencil in his hand. That is all. He does the thinking. He does the writing. The pencil has nothing to do with it. The pencil has only to be allowed to be used. How many of us would love to have the impact on the world around us like Mother Teresa had on the slums of Calcutta? I think we would all would. But do you know how Mother Teresa started her day? She started her day at half past four in the morning inviting Jesus into the work. She started her day at 4.30 in the morning to pray, to invite Jesus into her work, into the work that he would have her do, in the work that he would present for her to do that day. So here's my challenge for you this week. Pray to invite God to do his work in your life. Pray to invite God to do his work in your life. Remember, the process starts within, and then it works its way through. And I believe if we begin to pray this simple prayer, we will begin to see results that we would never have imagined. So maybe today, maybe today you need to invite Jesus into your life. Maybe you see, I've been trying things my own way, but I'm not getting the results I want. I'm getting mixed with sometimes it feels good. Sometimes it does. That things seem broken and out of sorts. And God wants to do his work in you to put those things back together. Maybe today you need to start by letting God do his work in you. Maybe you already believe. Maybe you already consider yourself a Christian. Already consider yourself a believer, a follower of Jesus. And maybe today you just need to, to take a step back and surrender. Say, God, do your work in me. I'm not a finished product. I am not there yet. I need your work. I need your help in my life. 
and then begin to see what God might want to do through you. So maybe today you need to make Jesus your savior to, to, to give your life to him, to turn, uh, from, to turn from your sin and live for him. Maybe today you need to invite Jesus into your work. That he might give you his eyes to see. To remind us that ultimately we are in the people business. We're in the people business. Helping bring all of God's children back home to him. Maybe something from today's sermon sparked something in your mind, sparked something in you, and you want to talk with someone before you leave today. I'll be in the back after the service. You can also speak with Jim, who did our community meditation today, and David will be around as well. Anyone you saw on stage today, we'd love to take a moment and, and, and talk with you and pray for you to help you begin to think about what next step you may need to take in your journey of faith. You can also let us know at our connection card on the connection card at cchmd.com slash connect. And as you fill that out, there's uh, some boxes that say next steps and you can click the ones, uh, the, the one or, or, or some of that kind of spark where you're at today. And we follow up with you. We'll pray for you and, and help resource you along that way. So you don't short your results by thinking about the end, by thinking about the fruitfulness What we need to do is we need to invite God into the work that he would do his work in us first. And as we allow him to do his work in our life, he will produce the fruit he wants through our life. And only then will he accomplish the work he wants to do through you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Thank you for today. For the time of being able to, to share with our friends. Father, I thank you for the, the songs we're going to sing. Father, you would, re- would you resurrect our life today? Would your spirit be at work and alive in us? Father, that through us, we might shine like stars in the sky. Father, your light might shine through us to declare your praise, your worth, your glory. And you help us to draw your children back home to you. Father, would you give us your eyes to see? Would you give us your heart to move? Would you give us your hands to serve? Father, would you give us, put the words in our mouth to say, to encourage others to love and to follow Jesus. Father, would you work on our heart today? Would you call those to you to, uh, for salvation who need to know of Jesus? Father, would you awaken the hearts of those who've walked with you for years? That Father, we might live with a new purpose, a new sense of urgency, as we help people find the living hope of Jesus. Father, we thank you for loving us, for seeking us out, for seeking us out, for finding us, for saving us, and for having a purpose and direction for our life. Would we allow you to work in us so that we can fulfill your good purposes through us? It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, we're glad that you've joined us today. I want to thank our, 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 our Boy Scout and Cub Scout fam- uh, families for, for joining us today. Uh, we hope that you have a great week, and we look forward to seeing you guys next Sunday.